Welcome to What You Wearing. In this episode, we are going to talk all about the great and now the late Andre Leon Telly. And then we've got our hot looks. I have taken over the vocabulary word this week. Nice. And you know, there's always one last thing. Always. What happened to shoes? I don't get it. William. Mark Allen. What the? <laughs> what the? It's a new year. It is happy new year. Yeah, I mean, it's a little late, but it's it is, it's top of the year. I it's mean, still, it's, it's still st- January. It still counts. It's, it's still it's the, January. And it's the year of the tiger. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the year of the tiger. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I Ooh. put the eye of the tiger. Da, 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 I'm starting to I remember Rollerland, like roller skating to that song in my Rollerland. It's called Rollerland. Where is that? Oh, Merced, where I grew up. Oh. And we just go roller skating, enjoying ourselves. I looked cute too. Mm. Corduroy short shorts, tank top. Mm. Was that cute though? It was. Booty. Corduroy booty shorts? It wasn't booty shorts. I mean, like, skinny white boy. There was no booty happening. Well, I mean, the booty is the length. I mean... But if there was short short, they're booty shorts. But it was also the 80s. Everything was short shorts. Come on now. Yeah. Think back. It's yeah, all short shorts. but they're shorts. now called booty shorts. Okay. Well, 80s... If they're above your thigh, they're booty shorts. No! Yes. Your thigh goes all the way up to your hip flexor, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess that's That's true. your quad. I mean, so... I guess anything above... What's the, what's your mid upper the quad yeah so in the mid quad right if it goes higher than mid quad to me that's a booty short well you're much more conservative because if you grab your ankles you're gonna see somebody <laughs> booty is that how you can tell so booty shorts and booty short and when you grab your ankles wearing them you can see some booty, booty. all right now that you've got that clarified I just made that up so I mean, me. I feel. <laughs> I feel like, you know, Betty White, God rest her soul, she left us on New Year's Eve, right, the 31st or the 30th, and then I just feel like people have been dropping like flies. Meatloaf, Louis Anderson, right, and then Terry... Terry Mugler. Mugler? Mugler. Mugler. No, Mugler. Well, it used to be called Tam Mugler, and now they just sell it called Mugler at Nordstrom. No, well, that's butchering it, I and mean, he has nothing to do with that anymore. So I mean, that's and why. that tag is, like, disgusting. He has nothing. To, it, he had nothing to do with that. He, I hope he got a lot of money for that particular sellout. It's probably some company. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But Tam Mugler, who I just, I used to buy at Nima Marcus in the 90s. Yeah, I was, I was lucky enough to meet with him and work with for him and model for him in Paris. So really, he ended up. He was a he was a good friend that stayed a friend throughout the years. So it was that was a tough one for me. Yeah, yeah he was one of the first designers that uh, saw me and believed in me when I moved to Paris. So wow, and then you walked for him. I did. Wow, in I his worked, runway show, I worked for him. I did a lot more of market. You know, when they do market week, when they come okay, to the showroom, I did more showroom stuff for him. But we had something called like a, and I will talk about it because I'm going to do a power player on him, obviously. But we had a little group called the Mugler Men, the Mugler Click. And we would uh, go to the showroom once a week. We'd be fitted in head to toe Mugler and we would go to events all over Paris and end up at Les Bon Bon Douche, which was the premier nightclub. The Bon Bon Douche? No, Les Bon Bon Douche. The shower and bath in French. You went to a French bathhouse dressed That's, in Mugler? Well, what it was, was it was a bathhouse, I guess, in the, uh, I'm assuming the 60s and 70s. Wow. But in the 90s, it was like the hottest club in Paris. Wow. Of yeah. course you were the hottest club in Paris. Of course. Of course, of course. darling. Of course. And then, I I think Andre Leon Talley died just the day before Mugler did, right? A couple of days, yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. was... That was a huge one for you, too. That was huge, too. I got to meet him when I lived in Paris as well. Well, I met him once. Mm-hmm. You've heard this story on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. And I, when I met him, I said, oh, hi. And he just looked me right in the eyes. And then he looked back to his girlfriends and said, does somebody else hear a dog? And oh, I was like, wow. I was like, 
I have to what? apologize for him. I mean, look, I can get having a bad day or whatever, but then ignore me like a normal person. But to like literally and then say it loud enough so I can hear it, it was just. I'm just gonna assume that he might have been talking about something. No, else. no, no, no. I could see the side eye. He was looking right at me. He knew what he was doing. Maybe he thought he knew. No, you, no, he and did there not. Was bad blood. No, there was no bad blood. I never met him before. Anyway, right. But it made me think of mm-hmm. you know how many people do you meet in life? Yeah. That you only meet once. Right. Right? Like, and you know, you and I aren't famous yet. <clears throat> and <laughs> as we go around the world and people, you, you meet somebody and they know you for your one, like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And then their entire impression of you is decided in those two, two minutes. minutes. That's true. And it's like, I wonder how many marks I've left like that. Where oh. somebody is like, ugh, that guy, Mark Allen, he is so rude. He is so... Several. <laughs> Just you kidding. know what? Don't you start with me! Just kidding! Don't you start with me! I'm just kidding! So, um, <laughs> anyway, so I mean, part of, I feel very sad that he died, obviously. Yeah, it was a huge loss. I mean, part of me feels like, I won! But anyway, no, um, he's he uh, and he's actually going to be our power player today, so you're going to tell us all he about really him. He really is. He really so is. So very excited about that. Now, here, the other thing that came up for me with yes. all these people passing away, it's a very, very important question. Yes. What do you... What do you want to have happen with all of your stuff when you die? <laughs> I have, because I, I, yeah. I mean, the stuff that's important to me and to you. Because first of all, men's stuff is different than women's, right? Right? Because women's like, oh, it's collectible Gucci bag, and it's a da da da, and it's a da da da, you know, and like, right. oh, look, this Dior gown, and right. oh, this Versace dress. I mean, you might have some of those Dior gowns and Versace dresses in your house. I do have some major pieces. Yeah. But in terms of like menswear and what we have and what we've acquired and what we love and what we covet, really, yeah, what's gonna happen with that? You know, it's interesting you say that. That always, uh, that's something that's always in the back of my mind. It makes me nervous. It's like you really don't want what you know are very coveted, major, one of a kind pieces to fall into like the wrong hands or end up the in wrong a, hands well, you no, mean like out of the closet well no hours. you don't want it to end up in like some random bottom of a box in like a basement somewhere you you want it to be where you think it should be I mean I don't know preserved or in a museum I know but how much stuff do we have that we think should be a museum because how important I don't have a ton but I have some I have a couple of soups that Terry McGlair himself gave me I have I have a beautiful tux that Richard Tyler made for me like gorgeous but these nobody but the, wants it nobody wants our stuff but fashion collectors do though. I don't know if they do collectors maybe there are collectors that collect just like they collect art yeah I, but I, you have to find the right person right and I, I just feel like because you don't want it at a secondhand store for like $100. I have all these you conversations I mean? with my parents, right? My parents are old. And I keep mm. talking to them about what to do with my stuff when I die. Like, it makes no sense. Because really, I should be dying way after they die. Mm-hmm. But uh, they always say, well, if you die, we know. Don't throw anything away. Because everything is something at your house. Well, that's good that he knows that. Because I, I just put the fear of God in them. I'm like, you see, little, you see that little white vase? That's Hermes. It's their Hermes ceramic from one little capsule that Bravo. they did 10 years ago. And they're never doing it. You see that towel? That towel's Hermes. You see that? That's from... The- <laughs> 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 so they know better than just be throwing my stuff away. But I think other than like my Goyard collection and that, I just think it's, I mean, what's important to me is going to just be swooped up and given to some resale shop. I just, I don't know. I have this, I had that thought like Andre on Tally. I wonder what is up with all those caftans and all those clothes. I'm sure some group of them has taken for some exhibit somewhere to really, you know, go through his story and tell a story, but I just really wonder. Yeah, that, like I said before, it makes me so nervous. Like, I know I have to sit down and, like, write down what is what and the value of it. So at least whoever gets it knows, like, okay, this is worth a lot. Right, don't, or it's, don't just, like, randomly, you know. Or what the story is. Like, this yeah. was given to me by Mr. Mugler himself. Exactly. Like, this was a gift from him to me. It's a one-of-a-kind. Right. People love this stuff. Right. right. I don't know. I just right. think that's one of the things I was kind of thinking about. Now, thinking about old and dying um, also made me think about the new Sex and the City reboots. Dying? Is it dying <laughs> already? No, it's, it's season not one. Dying. It's not dying. It's season okay. one of like season fourteen. I mean, it's like them fifteen years later, right? Or twenty years later, right? right? And I really love how old they look. Like, I really like that they're in their fifties. Well, they actually are. They so, actually are. So no, I, but I mean, like, that I they didn't, didn't like try the and... fact that they didn't try to 
make them youthful. Right. You let, they let them be what they and are. And how challenged they are at being, trying to be woke in this mm-hmm. new world and everyone's so woke and everyone's, mm-hmm. you know. And then they throw everything in there. I mean, they have all of these mixed races in there now and they've got a trans kid and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm just like, are we going to throw, what else are we throwing in there? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've only seen the first two episodes. Uh, that first episode is a pretty good episode. Oh, they're fantastic. Right? But I have seen inklings of things that don't seem genuine. Like you wouldn't. Well, the you wouldn't get. You, well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Let's say get to age fifty and then start acting a completely different way. And I find that that's what's going on with. Well, um, Miranda. With Miranda. Yeah. Well, she gets crazier. Just wait. Unless that's just some the chemistry of your brain. Cha- I don't no, know what that I is. No, but I think that I think that people go through a change when they're like, oh my gosh, is this it? And I'm 46 now, and when I was 36, it's very different than when you're 46. I'm like, oh, is this really all that there is? No, but I feel like Miranda was pretty like open-minded and quote unquote woke throughout the mm. series, and then now with this new chapter, all of a sudden she's doesn't know about st- like yeah, that's, that's a little that's what I'm like. That's a little interesting. And there's there's some stuff that's going to happen in her storyline that I'll let you know about that you're going to be like, oh, okay. And I also mm-hmm. want to know what, because like I said, I've only seen the first two episodes. Yeah. Is there a drinking problem happening with well, Miranda? Well, it's all coming. You have to okay. watch it. I'm not going to tell you. But, but the other thing I'll tell you is there's a lot of misuse of Dries Van Noten on this show. Misuse, they, really? Yeah, they keep putting Miranda in all this Dries Van Noten. And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Because it's like bad and crazy. And the clothes are... You know, they're always... I think it's interesting because if I look at how crazy the clothes look, when they're young, when they're, like, supposed to be in their 20s or early 30s sorting it out, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay, cool. They're, Mm -hmm. like, these edgy girls. And Uh now they're these... (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, you guys are gonna be like tra- that tragic neighbor who's wearing her Gucci sunglasses from yeah. the early aughts. Tragic neighbor? No. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will tell you, I love a good story, so I'm continuing to watch. I'm very, and it's visually, <clears throat> they just, I mean, what's her name? The not Miranda, not Carrie, the uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Uh-huh. I mean, the Gucci and the Chanel twin sets. I mean, uh, they have. So much money. There's so much budget for that show. Nice. I mean, because her character is that girl, though. Yeah, with her scenes where she's just like in a Chanel sweater set and her little, you know, skirts and her kids are in Oscar de la Renta. I'm just like, what? That was amazing when the two girls were in runway Oscar de la Renta. Love. Love. Love, 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 love. And then, like, kind of the the goth daughter. I don't don't know who's who, but there's one daughter that's not a girly girl. Yeah. I love that she kind of wore that. That hoodie over yeah. the Oscar de la Renta I mean, dress. That was kind of hot. I, I mean, like that, that pissed me off. I paid $3,000 for that dress. You can give me one night. No, but I like proper. that she made it her own. Because the other girl, I think it's Lily. Yeah. The girl. She's more of a princessy, girly well, she girl. She was like the firstborn and yeah. the adopted. Yeah. And they're like, they just were so excited to have her living on the Upper East Side. I mean. But her personality is you know, yeah. lady, lady-like, girly girl. You gotta watch the rest of the season. I do. All, your mind will just be blown. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Well, keep on keeping on, mm-hmm. and yes to Sex in the City for fashion. If you're ever just watching, you know, the TV while you're cooking, you can always put that on and just like freeze frame it at any time, and there'll always be interesting looks. There's a lot of really amazing looks happening on TV. Like, stylists are really, really... Up in the game. Up in it. Like, I'm watching another show called The Family Gemstone uh-huh. with John Goodman, and it's about this evangelical family. It's on HBO. And they... The wardrobe on that show is, like... I can't even explain it to you. It's supposed to be modern day, but they're, like, these multi-millionaire evangelical TV stars, and their wardrobe is just crazy. I like, this guy, a promo for that. This guy just had got baptized, <clears throat> and he came out after his baptism in a velvet, um, a velvet double-breasted uh-huh. onesie what, with wait, a cover bun. Wait, oh, wait, I'm sorry, wait. Yeah. I thought you were going to say suit. No, it was a onesie. Onesie? Like, yeah, like Beyonce shorts, onesie? Like shorts with a matching jacket. It's like one piece with a cover bun over it. And it's like in a, la- like in a mauve lavender color. Like, you just have I, to watch. It's like... It's, okay, I need a picture of this. It, it because is, I'm I, getting, like, a baby... It is. ...sleeping onesie. Yes, yes. Or, he's for sure gay. And so he married this one. I don't know what's going on. But a velvet onesie. Come I on, mean, now. Who chose what? I don't know. <laughs> that, that whole show. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Let's move on now to let's our... Let's do it. Halt. Looks. Oh, jeez. 
So I'm going to start. Is that okay with you? Do it. Do it. So mine are very simple. I uh, found an image of Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. And she did a little press tour for being the Ricardos, okay. right? And as I was doing it, I was like, oh, yeah, I love this, the premiere. So I put in being the Ricardos premiere. And when I did that, I realized that she did many premieres. So she did Sydney, Australia. Sydney. Oh, okay. On Australia. The city. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then she did um, LA or somewhere in the States. Mm-hmm. And both of the looks were extraordinary. I've got to tell you. So the first one mm-hmm. was this green sequin print, form-fitting, short sleeve to the neck dress. Okay. And it was this green argyle kind of print in sequins from Etro. I and, did see that. And Beautiful. Etro, right? And Etro does not do a lot of I saw that. red Beautiful. carpet stuff. It was... So beautiful on her. And yeah. I like that they took her tone of her wig. Yes, it's a wig. <laughs> down. So it's not that super bright red, but mm. it has like a little softer red. It's really fantastic. Like oh, I wow. just it was so well done and fit her beautiful. I mean, I don't know how is she like 102 years old, this woman? She looks the same that she's looked for 20 years. No, she's 50s, I think. She's yeah. late 50s. But yeah. I mean, I don't know what Spanx and whatever she's doing underneath, but her body is like on point all the time. Yeah. She must just eat kale, like, all the time and only kale. Uh, yeah. I yeah. have no idea yeah. how she's made. Yeah. And whatever, you know, Chanel. Jams and jellies. La Mer. Like, La Mer. La Mer. in La Mer. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. And then it. when she was in the States, she did this ridiculous look that was nude. <clears throat> and it was tulle. It was like this strapless extravaganza from Armani Privé mm. that just like she looked like a really elegant cake topper you know she has those beautiful shoulders and she uh-huh. sh- it was lovely yeah. I was all about it yes. so I was really 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 strong on her I loved both of those looks so much but I have to say she's one of the few of the movie stars to me today that they're a modern day true star yeah. on the red carpet. Yeah, and there. So if we go back to last episode, she's actually an icon. A hundred percent. She's a fashion icon. A hundred percent. And every once in a while you'll see her out casual, like in a paparazzi shot or something, and she's just kind of... Uh, but she's really... When she shows up, she shows up. And she's got a consistent beauty team. She must mm-hmm. have the same hair wardrobe people that just have taken care of her for years because there's a continuity that she has that so many other people don't have and only wish they could have. Well, it's funny that you talk about... um, I don't know if I should tell you... There's a funny story about Nicole and Andre. Should I tell it now? Yes! Who's Andre? Andre Leon Talley. Oh, oh, yeah. And Nicole, you want to talk about it now? Let's talk about it now. Okay. Funny story is, uh, while Andre was at Vogue... He was responsible for doing press pictures of Nicole. While they are in set, I don't know if you remember, there was a, there's a shot of her in this Vogue. Uh, we'll have to get the actual um, issue. And we'll put well, it on she, our Instagram. That's right. She's in a Tom Ford Saint Laurent gown on this winding long staircase. So they're on set uh, and, you know, they're shooting. It's a three-day shoot, blah, blah, blah. And I guess in between setups, Andre was just sitting outside, you know, sitting by the trailer, sitting out on, you know, sitting on the ground. And um, Nicole Kidman goes up to Andre and she says, you have to get up. You can't sit on, you can't sit on the concrete. Get up. You can't sit down there. He was like, why? I'm just hanging out. I'm just, you know, relaxing. She's like, you'll get hemorrhoids. Get up. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was like, wow. That's how you, (laughs) wow. She's uptight. Get up. Well, that was back when she was a Scientologist, too, right? Yes. Wasn't she married to Tom? She was. That was part of that whole thing. That's true, yeah. Whether, yeah. like, oh, if you sit down too much and eat hemorrhoids. It's true. It's you know, true. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> All right. Oh, my God. I love that. Okay, so that those are my those are my hot looks. It's mm. really all about, for me, this week, Nicole Kidman. Miss Nicole. My hot look came from the last, speaking of our late creators, uh, the last collection of Virgil Abloh for Louis Vuitton. Oh. It was uh, one of the runway looks, and it was a... I mean, there were so many amazing looks, but this one kind of stuck out me. Stuck out with me. <laughs> stuck out you. <laughs> stuck, stuck out to me like, oh my God, I have to have it. It, it was. It's a trench coat. The shape is basically a trench coat, but it looks like an Italian fresco. 
So it basically looks like a, a fresco, but it has um, black artists all over it. And it's the entire print of the trench coat. And it's a really cinched little trench coat. And you, you just wear the trench coat and that's it. So black artists, like what do you mean by black artists? Black, it was an, well, usually when you go to, you know, when you look at a fresco at an Italian, you know, chapel. Yeah. There's not a lot of black faces. I was all fat white people. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it reminded me of when years ago when I was in uh, southern Italy in Malta. Yeah, I saw okay. for the first time I saw a black, I saw many black faces in the frescoes. So it was in a, the ceiling. it was a fresca like it was a fresca or a fresco fresco and uh, maybe it's just on a men's jacket because it's called a fresca or maybe that's that beverage. fresca is a soda okay I like fresca <laughs> anyway but I think that so you're saying all of the characters within the fresco were, were black like, oh it's not amazing yes you know I have a client who has this wallpaper in her house mm -hmm. and it's like that old twall right that looks like all those um, those white ladies in the mm -hmm. South on mm -hmm. plantations, mm -hmm. and all of them instead are black. And so you look at this wallpaper, and it's just all these black people. Wow. In those scenes, and one of them is like, they've got like a boombox out, and they're like, it's just oh, wow. very, like, it's a very, very cool wallpaper. I gotta find out what that was. Oh, wow. It's a very cool wallpaper. Nice. All right, those are our hot looks. Yes. And now, go fab you Larry. Okay, well, I, you know, vocabulary is really your thing, but I wanted to do something because I knew we did a little last minute to throw together Andre on Tally, and I really mm -hmm. wanted to, you know, do my own little research and have something. So I yes. decided to do a word that I use sometimes, but really have no actual clarity as to what it is. And the word is cotton. I'm just kidding, it's not cotton. Um, <laughs> could you imagine? What's a zipper? I want to focus on what a zipper is. Although the history of a zipper can be very interesting, but. Yeah, absolutely. So, shoe vamp, what a mm -hmm. vamp is. Mm. So, what a vamp is, and so when you're looking at shoes, mm -hmm. men's shoes, women's shoes, pumps, all that, there, there are characteristics of all of it if you're a shoe designer that you're gonna take into account when designing a shoe. So what I found was that um, I didn't really know what they meant by vamp. I always thought that the vamp of a shoe was the part of the shoe where your foot rests, but okay. it's not. The vamp of the shoe is where the top of the shoe ends on the top of your foot. Uh-huh. So it goes from the tip, to the tip of the toe uh -huh. all the way up your foot. That, so, oh, that's the vamp. That's the vamp. Oh, okay. Now here's what's interesting about the vamp. Okay. A low vamp means that your shoe finishes near the top of your toes. Okay, so low vamp would be like ballet flats, women's pumps, court shoes, which are like Keds, flip-flops. So low vamp would be more exposed skin? Exactly. Got you. Exactly. Okay. And a okay. low vamp means you have more skin, and that means that you have a longer leg, because you literally Absolutely. have more leg exposed. That makes sense. Now... A high vamp is interesting because that's where the end of the straps are. So, like, let's say you're wearing a Mary Jane sandal or you're wearing a pump that has an ankle strap on it. Yes. The vamp ends at the top of the ankle strap. So, even though you have all that skin in between, mm -hmm. the vamp refers to where the tip of the toe and the end of the high part of the shoe is. Gotcha. In the front. So toe to ankle. Toe to ankle if you have a strap on there. So like if you have strappy sandals, it's where the top of that is. So high vamp um, shoes, some examples of those like Mary Janes, Gladiators, Oxfords, loafers that come up to the bottom of the ankle. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, now one thing that I thought was very interesting is they kept talking about knee-high boots right? Being mm -hmm. low vamp mm -hmm. because they have a seam. And I was like, I still don't understand what the heck they mean by that. That's why huh. you do these and I don't do these. Huh. But it has to do with how much of your foot is exposed. So the vamp is really a direct reaction to the amount of foot. Mm -hmm. So if it's a low vamp, that means you have a lot of skin. And if it's a high vamp, that means you have less skin showing. Gotcha. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So I felt like 
okay, now I know. And then, the, and then this article I was reading, I was looking all over, and they kept having like, and low vamp, like pumps, are much better for most people who have shorter legs and they want to have, because a low vamp is only going to give you an elongated mm-hmm. leg. Or mm-hmm. if you're going to wear a high vamp, wear it in a neutral color that matches your skin tone mm-hmm. so that you can have so a good elongation. But it's a very interesting idea yeah. to actually think about because I just thought, for for me, I always thought the vamp had to have been where the leather ended, right? right. So there would be a solid shoe, but it's not. The mm. vamp has to do with the full coverage of the shoe. And what happened when I thought about that, I thought, you know, that makes sense. Because when you go to sell somebody a shoe and put a shoe on somebody, if it's just a pump versus a pump with an ankle strap, mm-hmm. they're totally different shoes. Oh, yeah. And how you wear them and how you use oh, them. Oh, yeah. So... Because the strap will shorten your leg right there. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. That's why you want to have a low vamp. Mm-hmm. And the high vamp, things with the straps and, you know, higher, are almost, they recommend almost always with pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to cut that off. You know, yeah. there you go. That's called the vamp. <laughs> what? As he pushes his frames from his nose. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> did you feel are you proud of me? I did I'm a so proud of you. Listen. Yay! You, I learned something today. Well, I try. Yeah. I try. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now we must, must go on to the most amazing, amazing of all, the power player. And our power player is the late, the great, Andre Leontali. I call him the pharaoh of fabulous. Aww. Yeah, uh, he, you know, this on the cusp of uh, Black History Month, it was a true loss to, especially the black community is in the fashion industry, to lose him because he basically was um, a, a ceiling breaker for as, as far as black faces in decision-making rooms. And when I say decision-making rooms, I mean like... Um, Buying offices, um, creative directing rooms. Like the Devil Wears Prada. They all right. go into that room, everyone's right. white and right. skinny and hungry and bitter. Right. Right. So he's a pioneer for that. And I, I have to say he's one of the people that kind of inspired me being a little, you know, suburban kid looking through glossy magazines. Gave me the idea that it's possible for someone to look like me. Because William is black. Because I am black, if you didn't know. um, Gave me inspiration to know that someone that looked like me could get to in those rooms. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, so thank you, Andre. And I had the pleasure of meeting him when I moved to Paris in the early 90s. Wow. I met him backstage at uh, John Galliano, one one of John Galliano's first collections. I want to say 92, 93. And I met him through my other friend, Mr. Jay Alexander. Oh, Jay. So, yeah. So, I was lucky enough to meet him. But let's start. Let's talk about his life. Um, He was born in Washington, D.C. to William and Alma Talley. They unfortunately divorced. And then he moved in with his grandmother in Durham, North Carolina. Isn't that weird? They divorced and he, like... Which is... Neither one of them got him in the divorce? Well, from what... From what it's commonplace in the black community, especially in like Jim Crow South, that a lot of times the grandparents raise the kids. That yeah, ha- that's very common. I, I don't I don't know what the story is behind that, but it's it's very common to be raised by your grand your grandparents. Well, I mean, it takes era. a village, yeah. right? It takes a village. And when I grew up, my grandma was like all the time up in my mom's business telling mm-hmm. her what to do and mm-hmm. taking me away and doing all this stuff. Not mm-hmm. taking me away like mm-hmm. you're a bad mom, but like Friday nights I was with my grandma, I was doing trips with my grandma. I was like, right. so my grandma was very involved in my life, which I knew at the time wasn't actually that normal. Uh, it wasn't that normal. But it, I'm also finding from talking to people it's always their grandmother that influences them more than their mother. I think I it's the gays. Because I, I, there's something about grandma doesn't really notice her look and you're not really ready to come out and you're like, there's something about... And I don't think... I think as a grandparent, that's not a concern It's not them. a concern. Right. Because you're not wor- you don't you're not looking for grandkids because you got grandkids. Right, right, right. right. There's something to There's that. Something to I don't know exactly. But I'm with you. There's something... There's something to that. Something fishy going on there. Mm-hmm. But he learned from living with his grandmother, he learned, I think, the element of being impeccable as far as his, because his, uh, his grandmother was a housekeeper. Okay. And um, I guess he learned from being 
because his grandmother always put him to work. Like he had to, from what he says, he had to iron. The sheets were always ironed. The towels were hung out before they were folded. Um, the napkins were folded. So he grew up where everything had to be like impeccable. So he went on after after high school. He went on to study French literature mm. at uh, North Carolina Central. Then he went on to study at Brown University. While at Brown University, he became very friendly. I think what his parlay to fashion was, he became very friendly with two two society girls at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design. Okay. So they, coming from affluent families, had an in in the fashion industry, and he kind of always ran with them. That is the way to do it. Yeah. Take note, make friends. That's right, with lots of money. Make friends with money, honey. <laughs> His first job in the New York City, he began as a junior editor at Interview Magazine, which is how he got in with the whole Andy Warhol crowd. Right. Because the interview was big back yeah, in the 70s and 80s. It was huge. Yeah, yeah. And he basically was a receptionist there. Wow. And he says that he made such little money that he was living at the YMCA. Uh-oh. Rut row, yes. So, he, as he says in his memoir, he says he was taking showers where there were roaches and human ones. So we'll take whatever that means. I don't know. I don't know he if that's. I don't know if that means he witnessed shenanigans in the shower. I don't know what that means. I mean, he was for sure, for sure. <laughs> so he had gotten word that there that uh, the famous at the time, fashion director of Vogue, Dinah Veerland, was looking for, um, I guess, he called them, we call them interns now, yeah. back then they were called val volunteers. So he chomped at the- He just literally called them They called volunteer. them volunteers. So he was like, Dinah Veerland, I'm there. No pay, I don't care. So she was uh, curating a exhibition for the Met um, about uh, Hollywood glamour. Oh. He wanted so badly to include, and so did she, wanted to include uh, legendary showgirl Josephine Baker as part of the exhibition. But unfortunately, there wasn't enough money in the budget to allow the elaborate costumes that they needed to show for what Josephine did in her career. So, uh, Danny Virland asked uh, Andre, you should find out if, and I'm not quite sure why she asked Andre this, maybe because Andre was black. Uh-huh. For but sure. He, but he asked her that she, he should reach out to Eunice Johnson. Now, if you don't know who Eunice Johnson is, she is uh, the wife of, or part of the Johnson Publishing Company, which is Ebony Jett. Mm. So at the time... Ebony that, Magazine. Ebony Magazine, Magazine. Magazine. That was the biggest black publication in Chicago at the time. So he's like, well, I don't know if I should reach out to her because she's she's going to be like, who is this person? Like, I don't know this person. So he's like, if you reach out to her, she'll respond. He's like, are you sure? He's like, yes, just tell her what it's about. And then I'm sure she'll do something. As it turns out, Eunice Johnson, she donated $7,000. And the exhibition was a huge hit. Wow. And he got the money. And they got the money. Yeah. And which included um, Josephine Baker as part of this exhibition at the Met. So. Wow. That's kudos, kudos, Go kudos. Go Andre. Kudos, Get it, kudos. Andre. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also think that it, it shows that, you know, <clears throat> Diana Vreeland was really looking to expand what was happening at Vogue, mm -hmm. right, by bringing him in. Because there's a lot of other editors that have just been like, uh, no, that's not part of what we're doing right now. Right, right. Right, because I'm sure at the time there were other people that were upset that, you know, Josephine Baker was even included. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and it's and it just takes, um, it just takes a couple of people to kind of see your vision or see your possibilities to believe in you and yeah. give you that, you know. For sure. Give you that foot in the door. So there was one episode where um, he was supposed to, uh, they were supposed to do an exhibition with Claudette Colbert. And at the time she was in this movie about uh, Cleopatra. Okay. So he had, she had given him this box that it had the costume. Who had given it to him? Donna Veerland okay. gave him the gown from this movie. And yeah. she's like, this needs to go into a mannequin, figure it out. As it turns out, I believe it was a Paco Rabanne gown that uh -oh. was put together by gold discs oh yeah so he had to lay the gown out and figure out 
how to put the disc together because I guess it was a little disheveled because uh. it, you know, it's from wardrobe and blah, blah, blah. It was his idea and I got to give it to him because she just said, figure it out, kid. You know, right. he had an idea to spray because it was a gold gown. He had an idea to spray the mannequin pure gold and put the gown over it. She saw it, lost her mind and was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Love it. So, you know, if you get creative license. Well, but if you also, it's, you know, that could have gone either way. This is true. Right? So it's really an example of you just go be your true self and it'll either resonate or it won't. Exactly. Exactly. So you never know. So uh, in 1983, he became the contributing editor at Vogue. The first black contributing editor at Vogue. So wow. 83. 1983. That took a long time. Yeah. So in 1983, he did, the, he did an interview for Carolina Herrera for her first ready-to-wear collection. Wow. Mm-hmm. He, from being very close and friendly with uh, Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol, believe it or not, is the one that introduced him to Karl Lagerfeld. Oh, wow. I saw, I think it might have even been on your Instagram, a picture of Carl and Andre when they were svelte and in great shape. Yeah. And young. I mean, I was yeah. like, wow, look at them. Yeah. Andre was skinny for a while. It was very skinny. I mean, pre caftan. Yeah. I don't know what, something happened there. Yeah. Right. In fact, he says that in the 70s, you know, he's running with all these great Well, he was hungry time. too and living at the Y. Right. Living at the Y. And he says, um, uh, Halston took such a liking to him and they had the same measurements so Halston gave him several as we spoke about in other episodes uh, ultra suede trench coats oh wow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so with his friendship with Andy and then Andy introducing him to Carl Lagerfeld that led to his first exclusive interview with Carl Lagerfeld when he had just taken over Chloe oh wow and they were launching the Chloe fragrance so he got to inter- interview Carl Lagerfeld at the Plaza Hotel in New York. Um, so while they were in... Back when the Plaza was the Plaza. plaza when the Plaza was the Plaza. Um, now, after the interview, Carl said, come into my bedroom. I have something for you. Uh-oh. So, exactly. Oh. So like all the other, you know, his entourage and Andy are in, I guess, the main room right. of, of the suite. And they're all like giving these looks like, what's about to happen? I mean. As it turns out... Carl invited him into his suite because he, he had all of these shirts and pants he wanted to give Andre. So it wasn't it wasn't a sexual, oh, you know. That we know. That's the way Andre told no, the story. No, no. He said he got just several amazing shirts and mufflers and pants. Mufflers? Carl. Yes. That's what he called them. What's a muffler? I don't know. I mean, that I'm sounds assume- like a sexual when thing he, right there. When he was talking... I went in the bedroom and I got a muffler. <laughs> when he was talking about it, I get the impression that these were custom-made shirts that had matching scarves that went with them. That's... I thought a muffler was that thing you put your hands in. keep your hands in, warm. In yeah. Of your- right. So... I don't know. I don't okay. know. They were doing something... They were doing something at that plaza. I don't know. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I learned of editorials that I thought was so amazing that I didn't know he was, you know, he was behind. That was his idea. It was his vision to do Gone with the Wind, the narrative of Gone with the Wind for an editorial. But it was his idea to flip it kind of to your... To your point about talking about that wallpaper. Right, and have that... To flip it to make the servants... All white. Make the servants all whites, those being the aristocrats, yeah. and then flipping it where the servants were running the house. Mm. So that's, and we'll put these up on our uh, on our Instagram, but Jen Franco played the part as Mammy. There's a famous picture of him kind of fitting Naomi as quote-unquote Scarlett O'Hara oh, into a dress. Yes, Naomi, yes. So Naomi is Scarlett, John Franco Ferre is Mammy. John Franco Ferre is a very famous... Well, my favorite designer. Well, like, I don't, he's not famous right now. He's one of the only brands that hasn't really sold out and done like a whole thing. He, right. I don't know if he's even still living. Oh, no, he, he passed years ago. He passed, yeah. but he was yeah. a big, big designer in the really 80s, 90s. Like like Fred... Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Fred Heyman mm-hmm. on Rodeo Drive. He used to sell his oh, really? all okay. the time. And had a, John Franco Ferry had that shop where Stefano Ricci is now. That was too. a beautiful So, story. But like John Franco Ferry was this brand. It was, he was really like 
in my opinion, he was like before Versace. Yeah. But in that like sexy, structured, mm-hmm. cool kind of vibe. And a trained uh, architect. Yeah. Yeah. Trained he was, architect. He, yeah. Anyway, so that's so to have him in a shoot mm-hmm. pretending to be the servant mm-hmm. dressing Naomi Campbell. Even with an Aramis scarf, you know, tied on his head yeah. like they oh, did, yeah. tied to the front. I mean, I don't even know you could do that kind of a shoot today. You probably you probably I, would have issues. So. I think you'd have issues yeah. now. But and then Naomi Scarlet, like I said, uh, Naomi Scarlet, uh, Manolo Blahnik was the gardener, ah, and John Galliano was a house servant. He loves that. I'm so sure. that was really brilliant, and I didn't realize that was him that he did that. Ooh. So I was like, kudos, Love kudos. That. He's responsible for styling Michelle Obama's first. Uh, cover for Vogue. Oh, when, great. When Mr. Obama first came into the office. President Obama. President Obama. Don't you call him Mr. Obama? He styled the first cover of Ivana Trump before, you know, everything fell apart when she was just married oh, to Ivana. Ivana. Not Ivana. Ivanka. No, no. The so mother. He didn't, he didn't touch Ivanka. N- no, no, no. He did the mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And he was responsible for her now infamous and famous upswept blonde hair. Oh, really? That was his idea. That's so there's, there's a lot of amazing fashion moments that I didn't know he was a part of. Now, how does he make? How did he make a living? So he made a living as the editor at Vogue. Editor at Vogue. He also worked. At, but what is? What kind of money does someone make doing that? That I don't know. I, I I never got the impression that he made a lot of money. But I think when you're in those positions, there's so much that's given to you. Right. Like the. But I mean, like the every trip to Europe. The company puts you up in your hotel, you fly first class, you do all that, and yeah. then you have free luggage. Everything so is all your paid for. all your luggage is from other people. Like, I just wonder sometimes. There's so much that, I, but I think when you're in the position of um, working at Vogue or a big yeah. magazine, there's so much that is provided for you that yeah. there's not, I just the dinners, are, your meals yeah. are provided for, your flight is provided for. But at the end of the day, right, he's passed away. I wonder what, now he's written some books and all that, so mm-hmm. there's definitely some money there. But mm-hmm. I just wonder at the end of the day what kind of wealth he had actually, you know, acquired. Curious about know. that, you know? No, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a... I mean, he wore a lot of caftans, so that right. took a lot of fabric. So right. I don't know what... And he kind of made it famous. He kind of made the the, the, the caftan famous. I mean, but he also just kind of, like, had gained so much weight, he just had to give up or something, right? That I don't know. I mean, I just, because it was, like, I when I looked at all the, you posted a bunch of pictures, and then everyone had all these great, and he was, like, super handsome and dapper and had this really amazing aesthetic. Yeah. Back yeah. when he was wearing And that's what he was famous that. for, like, back when he was a kid working at, um, you know, Women's Wear Daily and at Vogue, that he was kind of famous for wearing... Like they call them knickers, but yeah. long shorts, I guess, to your knee and high uh, socks. I mean, I wonder if by the time I met him at that Marc Jacobs show, he was just over it. He was oh, like, I'm done. I'm sure. I'm just like, oh, one more of these. But think about shows, it. But think kids. about it. We, you know, he started in the seventies. You're when you ran into him. What was it? Two thousand five, six. So that's a long run. Yeah. Of, I'm dealing with a lot of crap. Dealing with a lot of crap, a lot of dumb people go, hi! Oh, you didn't want to hear a dog? Yeah. You know I, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah. and his stature, he's 6'6". Yeah. So you walk in a room, everyone's gravitating to you, and everyone wants to talk to you. So yeah. as the years go on, you kind of get like, oh my God. Yeah. Well, he's a big personality. Yeah. You know, he's, and he, whenever he was interviewed, if he's in, he's in lots of documentaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know his fate, because he's just done, mm-hmm. you know, he's been that person that I feel like... He's got presence. Right. And he's one of the few editors that was constantly asked by designers uh, his opinion before they would show their collection. Isn't that interesting? Like Bill Blask, Asa De Laurenta, uh, Jacqueline Durives. And now that was back when these designers were actually looking for editorial response mm-hmm. and not just trying to get somebody to post them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. And, and a lot of when those companies weren't owned, you know, by some big conglomerate. No. You know, they were like, now McQueen, whoever's designing over there, has to like show the Gucci or LVMH people, whatever, the collection, to make sure they like it before. They... It's like, it's just a whole different world. And it's, it was also, from, you know, reading his memoir, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a game to it. Like, for example, he was working at one point while he was at Women's Wear Daily. In order for a designer to get coverage at Women's Wear Daily, 
at the paper, yeah. you kind of got to play up to the people that are working there. Yeah. So that was a kind of a power play for him. They'd be like, oh, well, he worked, you know, he's at Women's Wear Daily and we want to get covered. Right. We want to try to get the cover. So we got to invite him and, yeah, you know. Yeah, so it's all, it's, it's all a it's, PR dance. It's a PR dance, yeah. You have to love, here's the thing about fashion. I think fashion's probably very much like entertainment in this way. Mm-hmm. You have to like the dance. You ha- if and you, you ha- don't and you like the dance. you have to have a passion for it. You if you to- don't love the dance, you're going to have to be a billionaire, super, super connected, or really lucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the choices. And I got to give him kudos that he didn't just get in the door and worry about himself. When he was able to sit in with these private fittings and sit um, walkthroughs with designers, he would say, hey, you need more black girls. Yeah. W- what girls are you using? Like, let me see. Let me see the, you know, your lineup. So yeah. he, he, he was always instrumental and in advocating for diversity. So I have to give that to him. Yeah. that that, And also, I think that that has made such a difference like, if you look at the runway shows of today versus mm-hmm. what's happening, you know, um, even 15 years ago. Yeah. Like, uh, the Gucci show that I saw, you know, that Gucci Love on Hollywood Boulevard. Yes, yeah. I mean, it is trans. It is heavy. It is skinny. It is white girl. Which is it is wonderful. Asian girl. It is Macaulay Culkin. It Which is, is like, wonderful. Yeah. It is, it's such a representation of what the world is. And I also think it's a reflection of how far the world has come and that there's all sorts of different people now with resources. It's not just white ladies. And I think that, you know, designers understanding that there's diversity in a whole world of people buying their product, I think is really important. Right. And he's, he he also was kind of a ceiling breaker being the fact that, you know, if you go to a couture show in Paris, it's society ladies, society woman, society woman, Andre, society woman. So just the visual of him being in the room, let's say, right. at the Ritz in Paris at a couture show was like, what is happening? Yeah, yeah, six foot six black guy in the front And like a crocodile coat and a sable scarf and like a extravagance. Lot of, a lot of crocodile. Well, you gotta six get it. Six foot six. You know how many crocodiles that is? Yeah. Well, you, anything for the look. Anything for the look. <laughs> So his list of books starting in 2003 was A-T- A-L-T, yeah. Andre Tally, The Memoir, 2005, 365, uh, 2012 was A Little Black Dress, and his last book and documentary was The Chiffon Trenches, mm. which ended up being uh, number one on the bestsellers list. So oh, really? Was now, was a, that a book or is that also a documentary? It's it both. Oh, it's both. I, I never I saw did, that. It's amazing. You must. Is it on Netflix, you think? It's on Netflix. You okay. must, you must, you must. The Chiffon Trenches. That's, home, that's your homework. Yes, sir. So I just have to say, tip my feathered fedora and a thank you for, you know, tr- blazing the trails to Mr. Andre Leon Talley. Thank you. Yay! Yay. (laughs) It really is, you know, one of the great things about doing this podcast with you, William, is that we really get to speak about people and bring light to different stories and to different points of view. Mm -hmm. And you and I jest and we have... I mean, look, we have way we have way too many laughs on this thing, <laughs> and we have like w- lots of laughs before and after. Like, there's gonna be a whole like when we actually are another show. It's right. gonna be the, like the, the before, outtakes, the outtakes, and the bloopers whole, are gonna be I, epic. I mean, <laughs> bloopers, but yeah, um, it really is this opportunity that we have to bring light to different experiences and different people. Mm-hmm. And I I've learned so much about that. And actually, as we do this, it always makes me want to be a better stylist and be. Uh, better at my craft, yeah, and for you know, sure. like relate to it as for my sure. craft. It's really what I do. I mean, I don't sure. think so much about it sometimes because I've just been doing this forever. Just, it's what you do, right? But it right. really is a craft and 100%. An art that I, um, you know, that I've always taken much pride in. Now, speaking of pride, yes, tell me one last thing. What's wrong? What's the last? Thing? I have one last thing here. So, yes. what has happened? to shoes okay what on earth has happened now i have had this epiphany months ago maybe right. even a year ago and right. now you just were talking to me about this when you got here so tell me what what was your experience well, in the wasn't a, it wasn't it wasn't so much an epiphany because i've known i've noticed i don't know the last four or five years it's all about trainers and sneakers and you know balenciaga kind of started that with those 
$1,100 sneakers. Orthopedic sneakers. That are chunky, <laughs> crazy looking, and all made in China. I know. And the Balenciaga Gucci ones, they did a collaboration one. Right. That actually has a Gucci tag on them. Those are also made in China. But, Just FYI, at but, Gucci. But $1,100. $1,150. No, thank you. No, I mean, I don't even pay, like, ugh. Anyway, don't get me started. No, so I... I was at Neiman's just a couple of days ago, and like I said, I've seen the trend in Beverly of, Hills. In Beverly Hills, I've seen the trend of sneakers. I get it, blah blah blah. And you're in men's or women's shoes. I'm in the men's department, and it dawned on me I'm looking around the entire men's department, right? Yeah. From suits all the way over yeah. to like the, the you know the ready to wear. <laughs> Come on, section. use your words. Use your words, right? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know why it hit me. I would say 70% of the shoe department is sneakers. At least 70%. Sneakers, rubber slides, flip-flops. There's no shoes. Yeah, and like everyone has a chunky sneaker. Versace, 890. Givenchy, are None of them are under $800. And they're all the same. They're all ugly. Some are good. I bought a pair of chunkies that were from Pierre Hardy, who's the shoe designer for Hermes. I love Pierre. I didn't know that. Yeah, and he's very lean and slick from the top, but it has like a platform bottom, so it's kind of cool that way. But it's really... It it is. It didn't hit. Like if you need to have like a nice shoe for a suit, where are you going? You, I don't. Where are you going? Right, that you can get a nice. You're gonna end up like Alan Edmonds. You're gonna end up. You're gonna have to go to John Lobb. Look, John Lobb. Those shoes are two thousand dollars a pair. That's not even a splurge shoe. That's like crazy. You gotta go there, Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren, maybe, but now it's you have to try really hard to get shoes. Yeah, it's just not the same thing, and I think it's because everyone is so casual. And we're gonna go down a really dark, deep, you know, really. It's just you know. Now that you say that, you know what I'd like to see? What is going on, like in finance, like? The guys are still wearing suits, but most but finance I guys. I can't see guys Prada, on Wall Street in trainers. They were suits. Pro, they're wearing Prada sneakers. I mean Prada loafers. Okay, and they're I can't wearing see sneakers. And in I finance. think also the LA market's very different than what they're selling in New York. For sure. But my That's friends true. that are in finance, they're wearing suits. Okay. And they wear, you know, and there's like the like I said out before Alan Edmonds, and there's some Cole Haan, and they're doing yeah, that right, like right. Americana kind of dress shoe like that. But it's something's got something's got to give because yeah. I was had the same problem shopping for women. I was at Nordstrom mm-hmm. on Saturday. They did not have a single regular black pump. Wow. Everything was like spiked or platformed or beading or open. T- there was not a regular Just black simple. pump. Yeah. Now, there might have been something over in the cheapy stuff, but like in the designer shoes, mm-hmm. not a single black pump. No. They had one uh, Christian Louboutin, six inch or five and a half inch black patent leather platform mm-hmm. pump with a spiky Ouch. heel. I'm like, no, Mm-mm. that is not a black pump. Mm-mm. That is like, you don't even walk in those. Mm-mm. You lay on your bed. That's Thank right. you very much. And make that money. Make that money, <laughs> honey. Speaking of making that money, thank you so much for listening to us. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Share about us to your friends. Like it. Share it, like it, or don't like it. But even if you don't like it, please like us. Just yeah, Yeah. And, uh, Please, please stay glamorous. And we will see you next time on What You're Wearing.